dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Everybody is tempted sometimes to question the value of leading by virtue. After all, wouldn't we make more money, be more profitable, find power quicker by mitigating our leadership into a life of power-seeking or pleasure-seeking? Sometimes it can seem like people who don't follow God's law even flourish the quicker. Thomas Aquinas gives us a different perspective and underlines the essential importance that virtue plays in leadership. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much again for being with us as we we try to really understand what Aquinas means when he talks about virtue and leadership. If there's a, a two words that seem to even be contradictory to many of us today, it's those two words, virtue and leadership. Number one, we don't really understand what virtue is because we don't talk about it much anymore. And number two, it just seems like leadership and virtue are two different things. Virtue would be something maybe that we do that makes us really holy. Leadership being something that we do where we actually have to get a job done. And being good Americans, by golly, George, whatever is pragmatic is right. And if it gets the job done, it gets the job done well and the faster, well, then it's even better. Where does virtue come to play in this? How is it that, that a life dedicated to reason and to truth and to the finding the just mean in a behavior actually could be more rewarding for us? It's, it just seems like it's just the opposite. I mean, if we really want to advance, then you should act almost as if God didn't exist and as if there weren't rules. Right. So there's even like that, that expression, right? If good guys finish last, right? Was, is that true? And if we don't follow the rules and we don't live according to virtue, if we do just stretch out our hands and into what we need to do or what's good for us, what are the consequences that that has on the team beneath us? I, I want us to reflect on this because it's an essential aspect for us to discover that what Christ teaches us about leadership is a recipe for victory and for a more effective presence and a more ethical impact in our world. And since you are here in order to learn how to be the leaders of God's own heart, I want you to study the pathway to that leadership. The pathway to that leadership is action according to virtue. Let's, let's start with a prayer and then we'll get into it. In the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you've brought us here today in order to speak to us, and we bow our heads and open our hearts as you ask you to send forth your Spirit to renew us, to give us your courage, your light, and to allow us to be the men and women you want us to be. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, 
pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so looking at, at what Thomas Aquinas is writing here, we're looking at chapter 4 of his work, De Regno, which is a letter that he wrote to the king of Cyprus. And chapter 4 has got to be one of the most insightful of the whole thing. It's all about uh, on the, the rule of a tyrant. And a lot of us right away, we think of tyrants, we think of Hitler, we think of, of Stalin, we think of these terrible people. But I don't think we oftentimes put ourselves enough into question and the way that our own rule is, can be that of a tyrant, either that in our family or that in the workplace. And you say, well, what is it that actually sets a tyrant apart from any other type of rule? As it says that a good ruler, the ruler of a king, is the rule of someone that dedicates themselves to the good of their subjects. So you'll know that you are ruling well when your decisions are honest to goodness leading the people underneath you into a higher place. Well, this, this is a great thing. It's the noble aspiration that all of us have, right? To be a parent whose children go further than they did, who are, whose children or grandchildren are better than they are. And if you put that into the business sense, suddenly you realize that I can't be that kind of leader just from nine to five, right? In order to really be a good leader in the workplace, a Christian person whose life itself has been imbued by Christ in all of its dimensions, well, I mean, I could be effective leader in the workplace, you know, by learning these different techniques or by putting different things, but to really lift people up in their totality, to make them better, right? That, that requires that my whole person be engaged. I might be able to create a just setting uh, there in, in the place of work, a place of fairness, and, you know, but like to actually imbue that with a culture that, that lifts those on my team who are under me upwards. Well, that requires a care that transcends the simple quest for profit or for the successful accomplishment of our work projects. I have to engage that environment in a way that's personal, where I bring myself in a very integrated and deep way to bear in the situations that I'm asked to tackle there at work. And that integration is done by virtue. In other words, what Aquinas puts out for us is to say that the use of your reason, the use of your intellect, there to find the, not only the best way forward from a point of view of efficiency, but the right way forward from the point of view of morality and the authentic good, not only of the project to accomplish, but all the people who will be affected by that project and all the people on the team who are effectuating the project. He, he has a, a vision for leadership, in other words, that's much broader than what allow, a lot of us allow our lives to be governed by. And I want to kind of challenge you by this, to say, yes, I know that it's very important, of course, to be effective there in, in managing projects. It's effective in putting things down and making, making a difference every single day there in your work sphere. It's just that we have to be careful that we who are Christians, we're not just there to turn the, the, the handles of the machine and to make things produce. We're there in order to make our world better. 
and, and to serve God as he perfects his world through us. And this means that my work is a much bigger sphere for me than pure efficiency. My work actually becomes for me a place where I act towards God with that consciousness that the part that I play in, in, produce, in production and in creation of material things in this world, as important as it is, is only one part of the whole reason I'm there. If I go to work as a Christian, I go to work with everything that I've got, my history, my past, my faith, and, and I bring that to bear in the, the specific tasks that I have at hand. But when I do so and I bring that to bear in the specific tasks that I have in hand, I see all the specific tasks in a much broader perspective, a perspective that allows these things to be actually occasions for me to elevate my game, the game of everyone who's there, and the game of all those who are involved with this product. Now, I know that that's hard for a lot of us because we just are so trained to not seeing our work in a way that's free. We have to do it. We have to do it. We're told we kind of put our head down, etc. And, and there are situations where you just can't get around that. And I understand that. But the key to sanctifying the world of labor is humanizing it. The more that the world of labor is humanized and made something that I can bring my soul, my faith, my intellect into, the more that that same world of labor can become the field and the seedbed for God's work. And so if I want to sanctify the world, I have to begin by claiming it. And that's my first challenge to you. Are you in your jobs able to lay claim to the influence you're asked to bear? Can you really sign your name to what you're doing? Can you say this class was mine and I taught it the way that I needed to teach it? Or this meeting was mine and I ran it the way that I needed to run it? Can you say that you put yourself into what you do every single day? Can you, do you sign your name to your work? Do you, does it belong to you? Does it come from you? Is it a part of you? The truth is, the more that the work that you perform every day belongs to you, the more that it can belong to God. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. In his book, De Regno, on chapter 4, on the king, by, by St. Thomas Aquinas, he, he actually goes on to describe the antithesis of the king, and he calls this person the tyrant. He says that the king is the one who seeks the authentic flourishing of his subjects, whereas the tyrant is the one who seeks his own pleasures at the expense of of his subjects. And I know right away, a lot of us would say, ah, it's never me. I'm not going to be the tyrant. You know, <laughs> I've, you know, I'm a nice guy, right? Well, tyrants can be very nice people. You know, it's just that they're differentiated in that they're in it for themselves. I want to read off for you. It's amazing to see he describes the tyrant. And I'm going to read off for you the four different elements that he lists as belonging to a tyrant, because I think a lot of us are going to find they actually belong to us in our own selves. And we can, in many ways in our lives, we act like tyrants. 
He's looking, I'm looking here at paragraph 27. He says, Tyrants strive to prevent those of their subjects who have become virtuous from acquiring valor and high spirit in order that they may not want to cast off their iniquitous domination. All right, so first mark of a tyrant is that the great people underneath you that you will seek to either demoralize or to discredit. So it's really amazing, right? Because you, you think about this. Why? Because they are the ones that could actually pose a threat to us. So that the mark of the tyrant is that human greatness will not be valued. It's, it's the key to tyranny because as soon as people begin to breathe free, as soon as people begin to think high thoughts, well, they, they become a threat to the tyrant who exists for his own cupidity and his own advantage. And so the, the, the and your first thing a tyrant will do will signal out those who in fact have the ability to take his place and to subvert them. I'm thinking here of what the, the Nazis did when they took over Poland. Uh, they took over the city of Krakow. They gathered together all of the professors, the doctors, those who had higher forms of education, and they shot them in the back in a single day in order to try to take total control over their cities. Now you think, well, that's a terrible thing. I would never do such a thing. And I, of course, may, may you never do such a thing, but we do do it in other ways. Right? When we see greatness on our team, instead of trying to influence that greatness, helping that greatness, augment that greatness, how many times out of jealousy do we avoid letting the light be shown on the others? Why? Because we're scared. We're scared they're going to take our spot. There's a hidden form of jealousy inside of us that can even sometimes make us blind to the very fact that we do that. Let's be careful. And, and, and that's because in the end, a lot of us are under a type of domination. The domination called the workplace where only it's the supreme form of competition. Only the good will survive and the best will survive all the better. But it's not a goodness or, or best that comes from virtue and moral considerations. It's a goodness or best that comes from our ability to produce numbers and to post numbers on the board that are noticed. That's a type of tyranny, a tyranny of the dollar. And we can play a role in that in the same way. The contrary looks all the more beautiful. The contrary is that we could lead those who are underneath us, those who are around us, by actually giving recognition to the greatness of spirit that we see inside of them by building them up, making them feel even better so that they give the best of themselves to the team. It just requires of us this great word, the H word, humility, <laughs> that I'm willing to get out of the way of the greatness of those who are around me. Second Mark, he says, he says, they also see to it, that is the tyrant, that there be no friendly relations among these so that they may not enjoy the benefits of being on good terms with one another. For as long as one has no confidence in the other, no plot will be set up against the tyrant's domination. So not only do we discourage those who could advance from advancing, but then we see to it that they not be able to associate with each other so as to aspire one another towards greatness. Just the opposite, right? If you were really looking towards the betterment of your team, you would look to foster greatness by bringing the great together. 
This is a wonderful insight for us in, in our teams and in our companies. If we really want our companies to be great, we need not only great people working for us, but great people working together for us. What if I flipped that on the head and I had the humility that I need to, if you're really at the top of your company, it's not called brashness and boldness are not the only qualities here that you need. On the contrary, you also need humility and seeking out concord. Why? Because when great people can dare great things together, the entire culture of the company is transformed to seeking greatness. We need to replace fear with encouragement. To, it, 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 what if my people saw me as their greatest encourager? Don't you think that that would, that would actually engender a greater fidelity to the company and to the team? You bet it would. And more than that, you would enable your time on this earth to be filled not just with the ability to produce great things, but with the ability to produce a great culture. You'd be an instrument of God for the betterment of these people who have to go home from their workday and give the very best of themselves to their family. If they've just spent eight hours with you being crushed down and discouraged, what makes you think that they're going to be able to pick themselves up and then go home and be great moms and great dads? Do you want your influence in this world to be limited to that of the company? Do you really want to say that my job is what rules my life? If you do, then you're missing the Christian perspective. God says there's a hierarchy in things. And the first thing is your marriage. Then it's your family. And then it's your workplace. But don't put them in a different order and think that somehow the values of work should permeate and dominate those of the family. If you allow the values of the family, of reason, intellect, justice, kindness, patience, the human virtues to permeate the values of the workplace, your workplace will become not only more effective, it'll become more holy. And this, my friends, is how we bring faith into the workplace. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Thomas Aquinas goes on and talks about the third sign. Remember, he's talked about first of all, he said, tyrants are those who, who prevent their subjects uh, who have become virtuous from acquiring valor and high spirit. Then they see that there's no friendly relations amongst them. You can see them sit, setting up their domination and control. Third, they sow discords among the people, foster any that have arisen, and forbid anything which furthers society and cooperation among men, such as marriage, company at table, and anything of like character, through which familiarity and confidence are engendered among men. Isn't this amazing? It's just absolutely amazing to me because you can see this same wisdom permeating the many, many textbooks that are out there about how you create a positive culture in the workplace. And when you read the various authors on leadership and creating team spirits, etc., you, you see the exact textbook here coming from 800 years before them in Thomas Aquinas. He's like, look, if you really want to co-op, bring greatness out of a world, give them freedom 
and allow great people to associate. Overcome discords. Keep the unity of peace so that the greatness inside of each one of the people can actually be given. The job of the, of the ruler in any company and any management position, in other words, is to seek the unity, the concord, the betterment, the flourishing of the people underneath them. And you do that the best by bringing great ones together. When you notice that somebody not only has talent, but has virtue, has amazing soul, you want to find ways for that person to be able to spread it around. Because no business will be more successful than a business of great people. It's just, it's the truth. And also remember this, we're not called just to run businesses. We're called to be leaders. And that's a whole different scenario. God is not going to judge you based upon the position that you had at the company. He will judge you based upon what you did with the position that you have at your company. And if you limit your work to only producing whatchamacallits, you thought way too little of yourself and you've squandered an amazing opportunity that God really gave you that power for, namely to make the lives of those who work for you and with you better to the greatest degree that you possibly can. And we do that how? By fostering this unity. He says, a tyrant will strive to prevent their subjects from becoming powerful and rich. Since suspecting these to be wicked as themselves, they fear their power and wealth. Amazing. A tyrant, in other words, he says, will live constantly in fear. We see this, for example, in our own anger as parents. Why are we, why are we so angry? Or the violence that some people espouse in their parenting. Violence in different ways, emotional violence. But what's going on? Wherever you see anger, see fear. Whenever you see violence, see fear. Where you see jealousy, backbiting, discord, see fear. I tell you what though, don't allow what happens above you. You're thinking to yourself, that sounds like my manager. That sounds like my company that I work for. That sounds like the, the, the VP, the executives that are above me. Yeah, well, it's not by becoming like them that you're going to succeed. We're not here, in other words, just to secure our employment, everyone. We're here responsible to God. And I, keeping a freedom in my soul, have succeeded in life in a much deeper way than selling out that freedom in order to somehow or other gain their definition of success. I would rather stay courageous and poor than be rich and full of fear. A tyrant will demand that those underneath him or her be fearful, as fearful as they are. Because by so doing, the tyrant actually assures their control. If I can make you afraid of me, I will, allow, I will be able to control you by my own negative stances. It's a terrible thing. But once you stay free and courageous, you can't be controlled by anyone. It's, it's an amazing little battle plan here. And the antithesis of the fearful tyrant is the saint. Why? Because we are not afraid of the things of this earth. Our feet are in heaven. Our heart is in heaven. As much as our feet and our heart are upon the earth, we're, we have our foundation in somewhere else, someone else. And that one is the one to whom we will render an account. You can see why the life of the saint and the life of the saintly leader is God's antidote to 
evil spread through a world gone awry. It's, it's because the life of a leader is free and they bring and breathe that freedom onto everyone who is underneath them. They moreover strive to prevent their subjects from becoming powerful and rich, he says, because they fear their power and wealth. For the subjects might become harmful to them even as they are accustomed to use power and wealth to harm others. Right? Wherefore, in the book of Job, it is said of the tyrant, Job 15, 21, the sound of dread is always in his ears. And when there is peace, that is when there is no one to harm him, he always suspects treason. Right? Do you really want to live that way? No. <laughs> I don't know anyone who does, right? But that's the price that you would pay for power. Be careful of the love of money, the love of power. It can ruin your life. It's a lie to think that power will answer the cries of the heart. Power doesn't answer the cries of the heart. It enslaves the one who seeks it. The chains of fear hold fast the soul bound to lust for power. And it's, Thomas gives this awesome quote here at the very end. He says, as it says in the book of Proverbs, as a roaring lion and a hungry bear, so is a wicked prince over the poor people. Therefore men hide from tyrants as from cruel beasts. And it seems that to be a subject to a tyrant is the same thing as to lie prostrate beneath a raging beast. <laughs> wow, what an image. Do you want to be that? Is that who you are? Are you laying prostrate beneath a raging beast? You only lay prostrate beneath the raging beast when you've chosen to, my friends. When you give way to the fear of the tyrant, instead of the freedom of your soul, you give permission to that person to dominate you. Tyrants are thrown off by freedom that comes first from the soul and then into the group. And I'm here to summon you in the name of Christ to embrace that freedom now. When you embrace Christ, you embrace freedom. You embrace a truth that is stronger than you, bigger than you, and that has set you free. One that you serve. The man who kneels before God stands before everyone else. And in that quest, you also transform this world from a pursuit of money and power into a pursuit of glorification and love. The faith is the key to the renewal of society because it's the key to courageous leadership and that's what you're called to bring to this world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.